All right, very good. We'll be in Judges. Let's go to Judges 17 today. We're going to read a verse in Judges 17, then we'll go back to Judges chapter 1 and begin our study into the book of Judges. But I think there's a good verse for us to see in Judges 17 that gives us a good a good launching point into the book of uh, Judges and gives us an idea of what's going on a little bit as well. I'd say overall we probably have a general concept of uh, what's going on with Judges, but we're going to look at it today. This will be our introduction, and then from there we will uh, dive into some specific people that God used uh, to judge the people of Israel. Judges 17, look in verse number 6. It's a, it's a telling verse. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You understand that. That means everybody was doing what they felt like they wanted to do, what they felt like was right by their idea. Can you imagine America today being like that? It's already chaos. But could you imagine if the... Uh, if the one side was allowed to do whatever they wanted to do, and they just did, with no legal ramifications, whatever they wanted to do. And if the other side could do the same thing and back and forth, <coughs> it would not be good. It would be much worse than it even is now. The children of Israel had begun the conquest of the promised land. Then Joshua died, and it's like a whole new chapter now in, in what we know now as the history of Israel. Turn with me back to chapter 1, Judges chapter 1. As we see here, there was no king, so they were doing basically what they felt was right in their own judgments. Imagine your house being run like that. Everybody that has kids, kids just do whatever they think is right. What they would eat, what they would spend their time on, it would not be good. Um, It would be a little bit more like what their dad would do if their mom wasn't around. Uh, we'd eat some, kind of some food that maybe isn't the best for you, not the healthiest, but really enjoyable. Um, we'd probably spend more time playing video games and cleaning the house, and we'd spend a little more time playing, right, than sleeping. Probably wouldn't sleep a whole lot, would we? No, no, we wouldn't. We'd stay up really late. They would get up really early. Um, it wouldn't be good. And so God here is going to help <laughs> in this case. Uh, with children of Israel. Let's look in, in chapter 1. I want us to see here uh, kind of what's going on after Joshua's death. Uh, let's start off by looking at incomplete obedience. Incomplete obedience. So, um, obviously, complete obedience would be 100%. Obeying everything that God said to do. Incomplete obedience would be less than that. Look in verse number 2. We see God's promised success still. Even though Joshua was gone, verse 1 says, that after the death of Joshua it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites uh, first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Joshua is gone. Their people are now are saying, Well, who's going who's gonna, to you know, take care of the Canaanites? Uh, somebody still needs to go take care of them. And the Lord said, Judah will do it. I've delivered him. I, I, I'm still promising the success that I promised with Joshua and I promised with Moses, that success is still being promised to you. Then in verse 19 of chapter 1, we see that Judah did uh, indeed continue what Joshua started, um, or really up until verse 19, I should say, from verse 2 to verse 19, Judah is going out and he's, he's doing that. Verse 19 says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountains, uh, but could not drive out the inhabitant of the valley because... 
they had chariots of iron. Now, this is interesting because what's happening here is, is in verse 3, Judah teamed up with Simeon. Um, we could look at that. It says, And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, Come up with me and, uh, into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. So he had got some help. And they go and they're fighting and they're fighting. And it says in verse 19 that God was with them and they, they drave out the inhabitants of the mountain. But then it says they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they, the inhabitants of the valley, had chariots of iron. They didn't finish what God had told them to do. In Psalm 68 verse 17, the Bible says the chariots of God are 20,000 even thousands of angels. They came up to the, they, they, they took care of the mountain. Uh, Caleb uh, was going to, to get his mountain and there's other things and they, they, they got all that area but then when it came to the people of the valley they said well they're too strong their armies are too strong they have chariots of iron the people the children of Israel anything that they had of iron was something that they had gotten from the other places they've already defeated they didn't have iron just walking around with them in the wilderness and when they crossed into the, the promised land, they didn't have a lot of iron there. Um, you know, so they, they were wanderers up until that time. And uh, so they didn't have the same might, so to say, at least that they could see. But Psalm reminds us that God's army, so to say, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. God's army is enough. If we have God, we don't need anybody else. If God be for us, who can be against us? With God, all things are possible. Yet they came to this point where they said, well, we can't, we can't drive out the children or the people of the valley because they have a strong army, chariots of iron. They have a higher tech than we have. And so instead of obeying God, they had incomplete obedience. And that's where we see that tribes began to fall and to fail. Uh, throughout all the tribes of Israel. Look in verse 21. We see Benjamin. It says, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. The house of Joseph, in verse 22, In the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to decry Bethel. Now uh, the name of the city was Luz. And the spies saw a, man, uh, saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance of the city, and we will show you the mercy. That's not what they were supposed to do. But then it goes on, and it says, uh, And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city, and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. And it wasn't what was commanded of them. Manasseh in verse 27, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean. Well, that's not what they were told to do. They were supposed to drive out everybody. Uh, Ephraim in verse 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, or Gezer, I'm not sure how you say that, but the Canaanites dwelt there among them. Uh, Zebulun in verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive them out uh, of the inhabitants of Kitron. Well, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, Nahalal, something like that. But the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Verse 31 is Asher. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Acho, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Alab, nor of Akzib, nor of Helba, nor of Aphek, nor of Rahab. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. 
It's incomplete obedience. Nephtali in verse 33 uh, says, Neither did he drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Uh, Dan in verse 34, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. But the Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres, um, Heres and Ajilon, and in Shalbim. Yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. We see Asher in verse 31 and verse 32, they befriended those whom God told to destroy. And that's really a problem even in today's Christians' lives because <coughs> there's that balance. We have people that maybe are lost and are not, do not live a godly lifestyle, yet we're friends with them. And I'm not saying that we need to shun. I'm not saying that we need to never speak to uh, or spend time with people like that. But we do have to be aware of the effect that it can have on us. I think the perfect illustration is one we used to show kids when I was at camp. Where you had a guy in the white shirt and then you had a pig. And the pig was, we covered him in dirt and mud and nastiness. And you go and you, uh, you can look at the pig and the pig doesn't get clean. You can show the pig cleaning supplies, the pig doesn't get clean. You can pick the pig up and the pig doesn't get clean. But when you put the pig down... Not only is the, the pig not clean, you're not clean anymore either. Oftentimes, sin is going to rub off on us more so than our good rubs off on them. It goes back to the fact that God's the one that changes lives. And so we come to this point where we realize, okay, uh, uh, I want to be nice to these people because I want to share the gospel with them. I, I want to show them God's love. That's good. That's positive. But you need to know where the line is. And that's going to be God that's going to help you with that. Where is the line here? If they're going to go out drinking, obviously I can't do that. I can't be their designated driver. I can't go hang out with them in the bar. I can't go over to their house when they're going to be drinking. All that kind of stuff, I just I can't do that. It puts me in a very bad situation. Um, I, I've got to be aware. I've got to be understanding of when is it right for me to spend time with these people and when is it time for me to, to stay away from these people. But here specifically, God said, drive these people out. And tribe after tribe after tribe didn't do it. They didn't do it for different reasons sometimes, but it all came back to the point where it was incomplete obedience. And that's going to come back uh, to really haunt them uh, here very soon. What are the reasons for failure? We see it in chapter 2. They chose not to obey. Look in verse 11, Judges 2, verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord their God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. They chose not to obey God. So, and it's the result of them not obeying God to begin with. When they didn't obey God to drive the people out, now they're serving the gods of the people that they were supposed to get rid of. But they didn't get rid of them. And now they're serving Baal and Ashtaroth as opposed to the God that delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land and promised them success if they'd follow him. They were not taught uh, by their parents. That's a big failure on their parents. And look in verse number 10, chapter 2, verse 10. And also all that uh, generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. They didn't pass it down from the next generation. They weren't teaching them, look, this is what God did for us. 
We sit here, I know, with my kids, and we try very hard when, when God does something great for us, either as a family or as a church, and we tell them, hey, look what God did. God did this. God provided this. God answered our prayer on this. We make that visible to them to help them see, because as a kid, you don't see that all the time. You don't understand that, that my parents prayed for this, or we prayed for this, and God gave it to us. And so you teach and you train and you say, this is what God has done. This is what God is doing. But they didn't do that. And in verse 10, it says, Another generation rose up and they knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which God had done for Israel. God had done so much for Israel. So much for Israel. God had delivered them out of captivity in Egypt. He had provided for them food. He had given them victory after victory after victory and brought them into the promised land which was set up for them. But they didn't understand that. They didn't know that. They weren't taught that. So reasons for, for failure. Again, we are responsible for our sins. I'm not completely passing all the blame onto the previous generation on this because we are responsible for the sins that we commit. But it's important that we teach and we train. The Bible says if you train up your child in the way he should go, that when he's old, he'll not depart from it. They didn't do that. And that's a problem. So that's two reasons for their failures. Number three, God's response to their rejection. Look in verse uh, 16 here in chapter 2. It says, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Now, that wasn't like a grandma and grandpa spoiled them. That was a bad, that was, they got, they got demolished. Uh, verse 15, whether so, uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but uh, they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. Verse 18, And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For they had repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. So very simply put, people, uh, armies would come and they would, they would uh, uh, overtake Israel. And Israel would be in captivity. So God would raise up a judge, a person, and God would be with that judge to help deliver them out of the captivity that they were under. Um, it says there in verse 17 in very plain language, these people, they went searching for other gods. They were very loose with the gods they were picking. And in verse Number 19, we see a cycle that we're going to be looking at as we study the judges. We see this cycle as it says, And it came to pass when the judge was dead that God had raised up for them to deliver them. When the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. We're going to look at this at every judge we look at. But what happens is very simple. The people, they failed. They went serving other gods and not, not the God, not, not the one that delivered them. God says, um, these are my people. I'm taking care of these people. So he sends a judge. And what we'll see is, is that when the judge comes, God's with the judge, so God's going to help the judge to deliver the people out. And we're going to see somewhat of a revival take place each time where the people repent of their sins and they, they call on God again. And God delivers them out from captivity through the judge that he places there. And then that judge dies, and they go right back. And it says here, worse than their fathers. Right back to it. Oh, well, the judge is dead, so I guess we'll just go back to Baal. It's a, it's a sickening cycle, but what we see is, I believe, 
And the Bible here in the book of Judges is talking about Israel. But I believe we can see very, very easily that uh, American Christians fall into very similar cycles where we'll do right for a little while. We'll, get, uh, we'll, we'll understand the need for God and we'll, we'll, we'll follow and we'll obey and we'll do right. And then something happens. A new president takes place. Uh, a change in society somehow or another. And we kind of off, slack off. We kind of go away. I've said this before. We were, we were in a place at the end of President Obama's presidency where Christians were really starting to, to get amped up. They saw urgency with the gospel, urgency to follow God. And then in the presidential election, when we had the choice between our current president and Mrs. Clinton, who ran against him, Christians were terrified. They were terrified. Oh, if she gets in, we're going to be in all kinds of trouble. She's going to take away all our freedoms, which I don't think would have happened, but it wouldn't have been good either way. And, and then when she didn't win, it was like American Christians had a sigh of relief and all of a sudden backed off. The urgency wasn't the same anymore. And every now and then something will happen and a law will get passed and Christians will go, oh no, that's really bad. We've got to speak up. We've got to stand up. We've got to, we've got to preach God's word. But then that, that event will die down and Christians will kind of go back into their shelter. And we're going to see that. We see that in America all the time. So there's a lot of lessons we can learn through the book of Judges. Because I used to sit there as a kid and think, well, how stupid are they? Like, do you not see what's happening? Why would they do that? But then the more I watch our Christian society, we do a lot of the same things. So hopefully, as we study through the book of Judges, we're going to learn, not only read history of what happened in Israel, but learn from their mistakes so that we don't make the same mistakes and see what God is doing and the promises that God gives and the help that God provides. Take that, apply it to our lives, and then go forth in our lives living the way God desires for us to live and not falling back into a dangerous cycle, but staying faithful to what God desires for us to do. Hopefully, God doesn't have to send us a president that, that threatens to take away rights or that does take away rights or a senator or anything like that, any kind of politician that takes away rights. Hopefully, that's not what it takes for us in America to, to do what we're supposed to do. But don't think that, that God won't do it. Don't think that God won't do it. And we're going to learn that through the book of Judges. So I pray as we look at this, as we see here just in this introduction to Judges, we see incomplete obedience. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. We can obey part of the way, but if we're not going to fully surrender to what God wants for us, it's a dangerous way to live because it's opening the door for us to fall into things that God does not want in our lives Incomplete obedience leads to tribes falling and failing. Uh, we see some reasons for that as they chose, they made the decision, we're not going to obey God. And then also we see the, the um, result of the previous generation not doing their part to pass on information and knowledge about God. And then we see God's response of their rejection to Him is, is they went through trials, they went through captivity, that God would send judges to deliver them, but then they would fall right back in. So as we prepare through the book of Judges in the coming weeks, let's pray and ask God to help us uh, to, to not have incomplete obedience, but complete obedience. And let's ask God to help us to not fall into a cycle of, of doing good for God than doing nothing for God, but that we can stay doing what God desires for us to do. Lord, I pray for your help. I do look at our country, and it's, a, it's in a really dangerous 
spot. We are willing to stand for, uh, for you in areas, but it seems like other areas that we should be standing, we're just very silent in. And God, I pray that you would help us, first of all, individually, that we'd be obedient to what you desire for each of us. And God, I pray that that would make an impact in our homes, and then an impact in our church, and then an impact in our community, and then our state, and then our country, and the world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to do our part. God, I pray that we wouldn't have to be reprimanded, but God, that we'd be faithful. God, I pray that you'd help us to learn. We'll look at some familiar stories, maybe some less familiar stories throughout the book of Judges, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from them, grow from them, teach us your word, and Lord, draw us closer to you because of it. I do pray for your help throughout the rest of this day, this week. Lord, even as it gets very cold, I pray that you provide uh, for the different needs that we have and provide, uh, provide protection for us as well. And uh, God, may we faithfully serve you and please you, honor you this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, don't forget your um, prayer slips, family prayer slips. If you haven't filled that out yet, don't forget to grab another one as well. Um, if you need anything this week, let me know. It's going to be really cold on Wednesday. Uh, but we plan.